Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Yaranayam Chalaramanaya. Namaskaram. Um, today I'm going to continue talking about verse one of uh, Anmavide, but before I do so, I've been asked to say something about the significance of Mahashivaratri. Um, there is a, a verse, one of the seven verses that Bhagavan translated from the Arunachal Mahatmyam. The Arunachal Mahatmyam is a, a collection of different Puranic texts, mainly from Skanda Purana and various other Puranas, about the greatness of Arunachala. Um, this Bhagavan uh, adapted several verses from that into Tamil. Some of the Tamil verses are summaries of a, several verses in Sanskrit. Some are uh, translation of sometimes he packed the meaning of two verses into one in, San, in Sanskrit into one verse in Tamil. Um, but anyway, these in these seven verses, Bhagavan uh, gives us some idea about the the Puranic tradition about the greatness of Arunachala. Um, so the third of those seven verses, um, he mentioned Mahashivaratri. That is what he says in this verse is, um, not, not, sorry, not the third, the second, second. Adi Arunachala per Abhudalinga Turukal Adinal Maharil Adirei. That's the first sentence. What that means is the, um, the original day on which um, uh, 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 he, uh, uh, in which he, he, he is referring to Lord Shiva, took the um, took the uh, uh, wonderful the Abuddha Linga, the wonderful uh, extraordinary Linga form. Uh, uh, Arunachala, Ar Adi Arunachala means the original Arunachala, uh, Per Abuddha, that, that is the, the great and wonderful Linga form, uh, the day on which he took that form is um, is uh, Margariel Adire, it's, uh, that is the festival of Tiruadare in the Tamil month of Margari. That's the Adra uh, star in the, in the month of Margari, on the day that is called Adra Dashanam. That, that, the, the significance of that day, that is, um, is, the, that is the day when Arunachala first appeared as a column of fire between Brahma and Vishnu. That column of fire is what we now see as Arunachala. Um, so, and he starts his verse with the word Adi, because Arunachala is the Adi Linga Sarupa. It's the original Linga form. That is the, the custom of worshipping Shiva in the form of Linga originated from this uh, column of fire that appeared between Brahma and Vishnu, and that later... Um, uh, took on a subdued form as the form of Arunachala. So Arunachala is the Adi Linga Swarupa, the very original Linga. Um, that's why he says Adi Arunachala, Per Abuddha Linga. Uh, that's all a description of the Linga. It's the original Linga. It's the Arunachala Linga. It's the, it's the great Linga, it's the Abuddha Linga, it's the wonderful Linga. Uh, so that's all the description of that Linga, but it's Arunachala. Um, and the day on which Lord Shiva first took that form 
is the day of the Ardra star in the month of uh, Margari, the festival that in Tamil is known as Tiruvadare. Bhagavan was actually born during the Tiruvadare celebration. That is, in Tiruchuri, where Bhagavan was born, the, the uh, celebrations were just concluding. And uh, Lord Shiva and his consort, uh, Sahaya, Sahaya Bali, they were re-entering re the temple uh, at the conclusion of the festival. At that moment, Bhagavan was born in a small house just, bes just, over, just uh, beside the temple, overlooking the temple. Um, so um, it was a, an extremely auspicious time Bhagavan was born. It was not actually during the Ardra star. Bhagavan was born during the Punavasu star because the, 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 um, the star had changed, but it was still during the festival. So it was the, near the, con the conclusion of that festival, Bhagavan was born in this world. So the, the same day that Arunachala first appeared as a column of fire, he appeared in human form as as our Bhagavan Ramana, our, our beloved Sadguru, um, who is Arunachya himself. So that's the first half of this verse. But uh, then he goes on, at Jyoti Arum Isanei Mal Munna Amara Eti Vari Patanal Masi uh, Shivaratri Amatru. What that means is the 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 day on which um, um, Mal Mal means Lord Vishnu and other Amara other uh, gods worshipped uh, the Lord Isan. That means Lord Shiva, who had risen in the form of that uh, of that light. Uh, that day on which they worshipped him is Masi Shivaratri Yamatru. Masi is the name of a month. Every month, actually, there is a, there is a, um, a Shivratri. The 13th, um, 13th waning moon every month is, is a Shivratri. But this is Maha Shivratri, the great Shivratri in the month of Masi. So on this, uh, this great Shivratri, Shivratri means the night of Shiva. So of all the, the uh, that occurs, um, 13 times a year, because there are 13, um, uh, that is, the, the moon goes through 13 uh, phases each year. So, um, but of all the, of all the Shivaratris, the great one is the Masi Shivaratri, because that is the day when, when Brahma and Vishnu search, Brahma went flying upwards in the form of a swan to find the top of the column, Vishnu, being very humble, took the form of a boar and burrowed down to find the feet. He went, see, he wasn't, that, that is in that story, what, what Brahma and Vishnu represent in that story, um, um, Brahma represents the outward going intellect, but tries to find the truth by going outwards. Vishnu uh, uh, represents the the ego that is willing to surrender itself, but subsides back within. So his burrowing down is, represents a burrowing in, uh, uh, going deep within ourselves. So uh, neither of them found the top or bottom, but whereas Vishnu humbly admitted his inability to find the, the foot of the column of fire, uh, because it's um, 
Adimudikana, that is the, the feet and the, 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 the beginning and the end cannot be found, the feet and the head cannot be found. Because it's, uh, why? Because uh, uh, Lord Shiva is infinite, Aranachi is infinite, he has there's no limits, so we, you can't find the limits of that which has, is limitless. That is the significance. Um, but as a result of his search, Vishnu became humble, whereas Brahma was uh, flying up outward, uh, that is, his flying upwards in the form of a swan represents the outward going mind. He was too humble to admit, but he couldn't, he couldn't find the limit of this column of fire, so he came back and told a lie. When he lied that he had uh, seen the top, and Vishnu knew very well that he had lied, so Vishnu started uh, worshipping the column of fire, saying this is Shiva himself, we should worship it, this is something greater than, than either of us. Brahma just laughed at him and said, oh, because, you, because you've been defeated, you are, you are now um, worshipping, but you should, you should be worshipping me. As soon as Brahma said that, Lord Shiva appeared in his human-like form out of that column of fire. He cursed Brahma, but he should never be born, he should never be worshipped in any temple. And he cursed the flower, the Ketiki flower, but bore false witness on behalf of um, Brahma, but that, temp that flower should never be used in Shiva Puja, it should never be used in the worship of Shiva. Since Vishnu had subsided, that is, his going in it represents his subsiding, he became one with Lord Shiva. That is why Vishnu and Shiva are always worshipped as equal, because they are, they are ultimately they are one and the same reality. So um, that day on which, uh, uh, just like Bhagavan worshipped Aranachala, though Bhagavan is himself Aranachala, Vishnu is nothing other than Aranachala, but he worshipped Aranachala as, a, as an example to all of us. So that day on which Vishnu and all the other gods worshipped Aranachala is Masi Shivaratri. So that is the great significance of that day. That is why for those of us who are, who are fortunate to be in Tiruvannamalai on that day, the, the, the best thing to do on that night is to go round the hill. When I used to live in Tiruvannamalai for many years, um, myself and other friends, we used to go around two or three times a night. That, that is during that night, because to go around once takes about three hours, but the night lasts 12 hours. So we would go, we would go leisurely for um, th usually three times around. That would uh, usually uh, see through the night, see through the 12 hours of night. So the whole of uh, Shivaratri used to be going around the hill. And we weren't the only one. Many people do that. I mean, it's a very nice thing to do, to spend the whole night going around uh, Arunachala. So this is the significance of Masi Shivaratri. It is the day when, um, when uh, uh, the, though he, Arunachala had already appeared as a column of fire, who that column of fire is, but that is Lord Shiva himself, that was recognized on that day, and they worshipped him accordingly. Um, so that's the significance of Masi Shivaratri. Um, so the same Lord Shiva who appeared as a column of fire then, appeared uh, 
in the modern era, in the human form of Bhagavan Ramana, to give us these his teachings. And among all the teachings he gave us, one of the one of the very, very special works he gave is this song Anma Vidde. This is very special because in these verses, Bhagavan packed a huge amount of meaning. And also the central message of this song is Aye Atisolapum. Anma Bide, Aye Atisolapum. That is, knowing ourself is extremely easy. This is what Bhagavan is teaching us in this song. Um, and that is what uh, why he appeared in the form of um of uh, of Aranachala in the form of that column of fire, but later uh, assumed the lackluster form of Aranachala, it is only to eradicate ego. And the means to eradicate ego is to turn the attention within and to subside back into the heart. So all these things, these Puranic stories, and uh, these uh, very deep teachings that Bhagavan has, is giving us, they're all intimately uh, related and uh, connected. So regarding this, um, regarding this uh, first verse, last time I had explained in detail about the first sentence. There are two main sentences in this verse. So just to remind um, what, I, what I was talking about last time, uh, that is what Bhagavan says in this verse is, um, in the... Uh, in the first sentence, he says, May I nirantrum tan ayadu or tan nayadu, it can be split in either of two ways, irindadavum, oyam udumbu ulahum, may I mulaitu erum. What that means is, though oneself exists incessantly and indubitably as real, the body and world, which are unreal, arise sprouting as real. Uh, so that's the first sentence that I explained in detail last time. Then the second sentence is when um, the second sentence he says, Oi me a ninevu, that means thought which consists of uh, unreal darkness, or the unreal thoughts that consist of darkness, we can take it either way. Um, it doesn't, doesn't make any difference. That is, the, the thoughts are darkness, and the thoughts and the darkness are both unreal. Um, anavum we are do in, in such a way that it doesn't arise or didn't get away when the unreal thought uh, ceases or subsides or yeah ceases is probably the best word here when the unreal thought ceases in such a way that it doesn't uh, uh, it, it won't revive even an anu even an atom even the slightest amount. Uh, when it subsides or ceases in such a way that it can never again revive, maya uh, uh, idea belly uh, in the in the space in the heart space which is real or which is pervaded with reality, which is uh, the embodiment of reality. We can say veyon. Uh, 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 veyon means the sun. Uh, swayam atma vilangame. Um, so what that means is, uh, when unreal darkness pervaded thought is dissolved, yes, I don't get a very can mean dissolved or ceases without reviving even an iota. In the reality pervaded heart space, oneself 
the sun will certainly shine by oneself. What this implies is, uh, when thought, which is pervaded by or full of unreal darkness, the darkness of self-ignorance, that is, namely ego, which is the cause for the appearance of body and world, is dissolved without reviving even an iota. In other words, what that means is, it is dissolved in such a manner that it does not ever revive even an iota. When that happens, in the heart space, which alone is real, um, oneself, who is the sun, the sun here, Veyon, implies the sun of pure awareness. So oneself, who is the sun of pure awareness, will certainly shine by oneself. Or um, that is the word for uh, swayam. Swayam can mean by oneself or spontaneously or of one's own accord. And when that happens, Bhagavan continues, um, uh, uh, iral adangome, darkness will, uh, darkness will uh, uh, cease. Um, uh, ida adungome, uh, suffering will end. Uh, imbum pongome, uh, happiness will surge, will, will surge forth, will well up and surge forth in the heart. But, what we actually are is happiness. So when we, when when we, uh, when thought ceases in such a way that our real nature shines forth, that happiness will well up in the heart because that happiness itself is our real nature. Um, so the whole verse, if we if we um, take the whole verse, including the the implications. So this is an. A, an explanatory paraphrase. Well, the literal meaning of the whole verse is, though oneself exists incessantly and indubitably as real, the body and world, which are unreal, arise sprouting as real. When unreal darkness pervaded thought is dissolved without reviving even an iota, in the darkness pervaded heart space, oneself, the sun, will certainly shine by oneself. Darkness will cease, suffering will end, happiness will search, surge forth. Therefore, ah, extremely easy. Atmavidya, ah, extremely easy. So if we, if we paraphrase it slightly to bring out more of the implied meaning, what this, me, what this implies is, though oneself exists incessantly and indubitably or imperishably as real, the body and world, which are unreal, arise sprouting as if real. When the world, which is pervaded by or full of unreal darkness, the darkness of self-ignorance, namely ego, which is the cause for the appearance of the body and world, is dissolved without reviving even an iota. In other words, when it is dissolved in such a way, in such a manner, but it does not revive even an iota, in the heart space, which alone is real, oneself, who is the sun of pure awareness, will certainly shine by oneself, spontaneously or of one's own accord. Uh, darkness, which means self-ignorance in the form of ego, will thereby cease, uh, suffering will end, and happiness will surge forth. Therefore, are ah, extremely easy, ah, extremely, uh, ah, extremely easy. So this is the meaning of the whole verse. So 
regarding the first two sentences, what is the connection between the first sentence, in which Bhagavan is talking about the unreal body and world appearing as if real, and the second sentence, in which he doesn't mention the body and world at all directly, he just mentions uh, unreal thought ceasing. So what is the connection between the body and world and thought? What is the logical connection between these two verses, these two sentences? The answer lies in what Bhagavan taught us in so many, on so many occasions. But this body and world are nothing but thoughts. In other words, they're nothing but mental impressions, mental phenomena. They exist only in the mind. They have no existence independent of the mind. So in Nana, in um, in in the fourth paragraph, Bhagavan says, if one removes all thoughts and sees, there's no such there's no such thing uh, separately as mind. And then he goes on to say, uh, excluding uh, thought, uh, there's nothing as world. So, so the world is nothing but thought. And he says even more uh, forcefully, the same idea in the 14th paragraph of Nana, he says, um, he says, Jagam Imbadu Nineve. That means what is called the world is only thought, it's nothing but thought. So this whole world is it's a mental fabrication. It exists only in the mind, like a dream. A dream has no existence independent of the mind that sees it. It's a mental fabrication. Exactly the same with the world we are perceiving now. So as I say, I last time I discussed in detail the first sentence. So now I'll uh, continue um, uh, talking about the, the second sentence. Um, the body and world are just thoughts. So when all thoughts cease, there is no body or world, but only the fundamental awareness I am. This is the implication of the second sentence. Um, in the main clause of the first sentence, uh, he says, uh, the body and world, which are unreal, arise sprouting as, as if real. So what is the seed from which they sprout? In other words, what causes them to appear and seem real? The seed or cause is thought. As he implies indirectly in this second sentence, um, when unreal darkness pervaded thought is dissolved without reviving even an iota, even an atom, that means, uh, in the reality pervaded heart space, oneself, the sun of pure awareness, will certainly shine by oneself. Um, means when unreal darkness pervaded thought is dissolved without reviving even an iota, in which we are do uh, uh, is a negative adverbial participle that means not reviving or without reviving, which in this context implies in such a manner that it does not ever uh, revive. So anavum do without reviving even an iota, it's an emphatic way of saying uh, forever. Therefore, uh, um, uh, when thought is dissolved without re uh, reviving even an iota implies 
when thought is dissolved in such a manner that it does not even that it does not ever revive even an iota. So the dissolution of thought is what he is referring to here. So the dissolution of thought that he is referring to here is not manolea, temporary dissolution of mind, but only manonasa, the permanent dissolution or annihilation of mind. Um, so this is this is the goal of Bhagavan's teaching. He made so clear in so many places, but merely bringing about a temporary dissolution of mind. The mind dissolves dissolves temporarily every night when we fall asleep. But that doesn't solve our problems because the next morning we rise up again as ego. So what we are what we are seeking is not just a temporary dissolution of mind, but the permanent dissolution of mind, manonasa. This is the goal of Bhagavan's teachings. And mananasa implies eradication of ego because the root of the mind is the first thought I, otherwise known as ego. Only when this uh, uh, ego is destroyed, everything else is destroyed. So that is the state of mananasa. The state in which ego is eradicated is the state of mananasa. And since ego is the subject and all the Everything else is objects, and since objects exist only in the view of a subject, without ego, nothing else exists. What remains when ego is destroyed is only the sun of pure awareness, our own real nature, which is ever shining in our heart as I. Since the unreal appearance of body and world is what obscures our awareness of ourselves as we actually are, and since thoughts are the seeds from which this appearance sprouts, when all thoughts are dissolved in such a manner that they can never arise again, what will then remain shining all alone is our own real nature, Apmasarupa, the bright sun of pure awareness, as he says in this uh, second sentence, and as he explains in more detail in the following portion of the fourth paragraph of Nana. That is, in the, the, the first uh, two-thirds or so of this paragraph, what Bhagavan says is, um, uh, manam embadu atma sarupa tilulla or adiseya shakti. What is called mind is an adiseya shakti, an extraordinary power that exists in atma sarupa, the real nature of oneself. Uh, it makes all thoughts appear. Oh, by the way, in this first sentence, when he says that the, this, this, what is called mind is an adiseya shakti in Atmaswarupa, and then he says it makes all thoughts appear, we have to understand that what he means by mind in this context is ego. Because ego is the first thought that makes all other thoughts appear. So, uh, because the word mind is a... Uh, we 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 need to understand the sense in which the word mind is used, depending on the context, because sometimes we use the mind, the term mind, to refer to the totality of all thoughts. Whereas what the mind essentially is, is only ego, because ego is the one essential thought of the mind. Other thoughts all come and go, but no thought can come or go without the first thought, I, which is ego. So he's what and so Bhagavan often referred to ego as mind, because what the mind essentially is is only ego. So what is called mind is an adiseya shakti that appears in Atma Swarupa. It makes all thoughts appear. 
That is, what is it that projects all thought? It is only the mind. It is only ego, that is. Um, then he goes on to say, when one looks, excluding or removing or putting aside all thoughts, solitarily, there is not any such thing as mind. Therefore, uh, thought alone is the swarupa or very nature of the mind. And then he goes on to say, this is where he uh, connects it with the world. Excluding thoughts, there is not separately any such thing as world. So there's no world other than thought, is what he means. Uh, in sleep, there are no thoughts, and consequently, there is also no world. In waking and dream, there are thoughts, and constantly there is, uh, consequently, there is also a world. Just as a, a spider spins out thread from within itself and again draws it back into itself, so the mind makes the world appear or projects the world from within itself and again dissolves it back into itself. When the mind comes out from Atmaswarupa, the world appears. Therefore, when the world appears, Swarupa, one's own real nature, does not appear. And when Swarupa appears or shines, the world does not appear. Here, Bhagavan uses the analogy of the spider spinning the thread out of itself and again withdrawing it back in. This is a, an analogy that is used in one of the Upanishads. But in the Upanishads, it is implied that, uh, it, that it is Brahman that spins out the world from within itself and again draws it back into itself. Whereas what Bhagavan says here, it is mind or ego that does so. So is this a is this a contradiction between what is said in the Upanishads and what is said by Bhagavan? No, it is not. Because Brahman as Brahman doesn't do anything. It doesn't project this world. It just remains as it is. It's only in the form of mind or ego that Brahman projects this world. So... Um, because the world is, as Bhagavan said, it's just a dream. And the dream exists only in the view of the dreamer. So who is the dreamer? The dreamer is ego or mind. So it's only, it's only ego or mind that has projected this world. And if ego investigates itself to find out who am I, if it seeks to know its own reality, it will find that what it actually is is Brahman. So it is Brahman in the form of ego that projects the world, not Brahman as Brahman. As Brahman, it, it is just summa irapadu, just mere being. It doesn't do anything. It's only in, it's only in the, when we rise as ego that we project and uh, perceive this world. That's why he says, therefore, when the world appears, Swarupa does not appear. When Swarupa appears or shines, the world does not appear. Why is that? So long as we see the world, we who see the world are ego. That is, it's only when we take ourselves to be a body that we see a world. So the, the, the world appears because we've risen as ego. And ego is what obstructs our knowledge of our own real nature, our knowledge of Swarupa. Because as ego, we are, our real nature is just I am. As ego, we're always aware I am, but we're not just aware I am. We're aware I am this person, I am this body, I'm such and such a person. So uh, 
ego is what prevents us uh, knowing ourselves, and it's the very nature of ego to always know a world. So, so long as we know a world, we that means we are we who know the world are ego, and because we are because we are as ego, we can never know ourselves. So, it's only by turning our attention back within, away from the world. Uh, as Bhagavan says in verse 16 of Upadesha Undia, Veli Videngale Vittu, leaving external phenomena, Manam Tan Oli Uru Ordale Undipara, Unme Unichiam Undipara. That means leaving, letting go of external phenomena, the mind knowing its own form of light alone is real awareness. In, in the Sanskrit version, he says, Drisya uh, Bharitum, that means withdrawn from the Drisya, from the objects. Chittam Atmanaha Chitva Darshanam, the Chitta, the mind, knowing its own Chitva, uh, its own nature as awareness, that alone is Tattva Darshanam. So, we, in, in order to know ourselves as we actually are, in order to have Swarupadarshanam or Tattvadarshanam, the mind needs to be withdrawn from all, all phenomena, all the world, and turn back within to see its own real form of light. In other words, the light of pure awareness, I am. So we can't, we can't see the world and see our real nature at the same time. Either we see what we see, see here means uh, be aware of ourselves as we act. Either we're aware of ourselves as we actually are, or we're aware of the world. What the world actually is, is nothing but Atmaswarupa. But so long as we see it as world, we are not seeing it as Atmaswarupa. Because Atmaswarupa is one, and formless, pure awareness, whereas the world is many, consists of many forms. So, so long as we see the one as many, we are not seeing the one as it actually is. So long as we see the formless as so many forms, we are not seeing the formless as it is. <coughs> uh, so, to continue, uh, uh, what we see as the world, therefore, and consequently, as the body also is only thoughts, as he points out in the fifth sentence of this paragraph, Nenevugale tabitu jagam endru or poral anyamai ille, excluding thoughts, there is not separately any such thing as world. And in the uh, uh, third last sentence of the fourteenth paragraph is what I referred to earlier. Jagam embudu nineve. What is called the world is only thought. This is also made clear by him in verse six of Arunacha Ashtakam, in which he says, "And anu niral nire ninevu kandana niral jagam vichitram ullum ullum kan mudal pori by kan." Kan mudal pori vari puratum. What that means is a uh, um, series of subtle shadowy thoughts are seen as a shadowy world picture, both inside and outside, 
via the sense organs such as the eye. What he means by seeing a world picture inside and outside, we, 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 uh, if we look out through our senses, we see a world outside. But if we look within, we seem to have another world in our the world of our own mind, our own thoughts, feelings, perceptions, and so on. This seems to be another world. So there seems to be an external world and an internal world. Actually, that ex what seems to be an external world, that is also internal, because what that the external world consists of is nothing but a series of perceptions, um, sights, sounds, uh, as, as Bhagavan says in uh, verse 6 of Ulujunapadu, the world is nothing but the five kinds of sense impression. So the five kinds of sense impression are uh, sights, sounds, tastes, smells, and tactile sensations. Apart from these, there's no such thing as world. Uh, so since these are all mental impressions, but, but what seems to be an external physical, uh, material world is actually an internal world of, uh, of mental impressions. That's, that's the point he's making. That's, but it seems to us as if there's an internal world and an external world, but both actually are internal. Um, the term that he uses to mean thought in all these cases, that is in this first verse of Anmavidde, in the fourth and fourteenth paragraphs of Nana, and in verse six of Sri Aranachashtakam, is Nenevu, which means thought or idea, or in some cases, uh, imagination in the sense of what is imagined, uh, but which he uses in a broad sense to include all kinds of mental impressions or mental phenomena. In this sense, therefore, Everything other than pure awareness, which is what we actually are, is just a thought. Even ego, which is the perceiver of all other things, is just a thought, which is why he often referred to it as nanenum ninevu, the thought called I, or as it's often translated in English, the, the I thought. In Tamil, it's a thought called I. Um, uh, as it is often, yeah, uh, and he says that. Of all thoughts, it is the first and the root, because all other thoughts seem to exist only in its view. That is, though ego is just a thought, it is a thought unlike all other thoughts, because all other thoughts are objects, so they are jada, they have no awareness, they don't know their own existence. But ego is what knows the existence of all other thoughts and knows the existence of itself. Because ego is the only thought that is endowed with awareness. It is chit jada granti. That is, it's a mixture of, of, of the, the pure awareness I am and the, uh, a set of adjuncts called a body, uh, which, are jada, which is jada. So, <clears throat> so why does he say the world is nothing but thoughts? What we know as the world is just a collection of the five kinds of sensory perception, namely sights, sounds, tastes, smells, and tactile sensation, as he points out in verse 6 of Uludunapdu. This is the verse I was referring to a little earlier. What he says in this verse is, Ulahu Aim Pulangal Uru. That means the world is a form of five sense impressions, five kinds of sense impression. Verandru. 
not anything else. So Bhagavan is very emphatically saying here, the world is nothing but these five kinds of sense impressions. Uh, sight, sounds, taste, smells, and tactile sensations. If you take away these five, where is any world? What Bhagavan implies here is the world is entirely mental. It exists only in a, it's, it's just a series of mental impressions or sense impressions. Um, uh, then he goes on to say, um, I'm Pulan, I'm Poliku Pulanam. That means these five sense impressions are impressions to the five sense organs. Um, that is, uh, uh, sights are impressions for the eye, uh, uh, sounds are impressions for the ears, etc. Um, and then he says, Ulahei manam ondru, I'm uh, I'm poli vayal ondidu talal, um, manate andri ulahu undo are. What that means is, uh, since the mind alone perceives the world by way of the five sense organs, say, is there a world besides the mind? So the, the, the world doesn't exist apart from the mind. The implication here is, as he said in the, uh, the fourth and fourteenth paragraph of Nana, but the, the world is nothing but uh, sense impressions, both sense impressions and mental impressions, and mental impressions are just thoughts. So the world is nothing but thoughts. This is the connection between the first and second sentence in these verses. If we understand that the body and world are nothing but thoughts, then the connection between the first and second sentences in this uh, verse becomes clear. If we don't understand that connection, then it, it's not clear, but he seems to be talking about one thing in one sentence and something else in the other sentence. So we have to understand that according to Bhagavan, the world is nothing but mental impressions, and mental impressions are what we generally refer to as thoughts. So uh, the, the, if we um, paraphrase the meaning of this verse 6, what verse 6 of Uludunapdu, what Bhagavan implies in this verse is, the world is a form composed of five kinds of sense impressions, namely sight, sounds, taste, smells, and tactile sensations, not anything else. These five, those five kinds of sense impressions are impressions respective to the five sense organs. Uh, since the mind alone, or since one thing the mind, that manam ondru can mean one thing the mind or the mind alone, um, perceive the world by way of the five sense organs, is there any world uh, besides or excluding, apart from or if not for, the mind? So in other words, there, there's no world at all apart from the mind, so the world is nothing but a, mental, a series of mental impressions, which are what are otherwise called thoughts. In a dream, we experience these five kinds of impression, uh, sight, sounds, etc. And so long as we are dreaming, we assume they are caused by an external world. That is, so long as we are dreaming, we seem to be a small body in a world. So the world seems to be outside of ourselves. Um, but as soon as we wake up, we recognize that they were just a mental fabrication. 
That is the, uh, it's just a, a mind-generated series of mental impressions. That is a dream. Um, why then should we assume that the sense impressions we experience in our present state are anything other than a mental fabrication? Why should we assume that they are caused by an external world? Other than these five kinds of sense impression, we have no evidence or even indication of the existence of any external world. But since we know from our experience in dream that our mind can fabricate such uh, sense impressions without any external cause, they are, in, they are no evidence um, uh, uh, that our mind, sorry, um, Oh, we have no evidence or even indication of the existence of any external world. But since we know from our experience in dream that our mind can fabricate such impressions without any external cause, uh, they are no evidence at all that any external world, external or mind-independent world actually exists. So is there any world that exists independent of our mind? which is what it perceives. In other words, is there any world that exists independent of our perception of it? As Bhagavan points out, any state we take to be waking is actually just a dream. So whatever world we perceive in any such state is just a mental fabrication, and hence it does not exist independent of our perception of it. This is why he asked rhetorically, in the last half of the sixth verse of Ulirunapadu, Ulahe manam ondru aim pori vayal ondiru talal manate andri ulahu undo. Since the mind alone, or since one thing the mind, perceives the world by way of the five sense organs, say, is there any world besides or excluding the mind? Sights, sounds, uh, tastes, smells, and tactile sensations are mental impressions because they are impressions perceived only in and by the mind. And as such, they are just five among uh, many kinds of mental phenomena. So since mental phenomena of all kinds are what Bhagavan means by ninevu or, or any other term that he uses to mean thought or idea, he said that what is called the world is nothing but thoughts. Just as a dream is perceived by the mind, uh, sorry, just as a dream is perceived in the mind by the mind, any world that, uh, that appears is perceived in the mind by the mind. So though the world seems to be a collection of physical phenomena, it is actually just a collection of mental phenomena. In other words, it's just a collection of thoughts. As ego or mind, our nature is to assume that all phenomena that currently seem to be physical exist independent of our perception of it, of them. Even while we are dreaming, we assume that all the seemingly physical phenomena that we are then perceiving exist independent of our perception of them. Because of this natural tendency of our mind, we generally distinguish physical phenomena from mental phenomena. But what seems to us to be physical phenomena consists only of a co collection of sense impressions, namely sights, 
sounds, tastes, smells, and tactile sensations, which are actually just mental impressions. So as Bhagavan points out, all phenomena are actually uh, mental, and hence they are just thoughts. Uh, in other words, what, whatever is perceived or experienced by the mind, either as an object or as the subject, which means everything we're aware of other than our fundamental awareness, I am, is mental. So it is just a thought. Therefore, when uh, thoughts do not rise, uh, no phenomena appear, and hence there is no world, nor uh, there's no world nor any body. A body and like sorry, a world and likewise a body seems to exist only when thoughts arise. This is why he points out in the fourth paragraph of. Nana, what we saw earlier, Tukatil Ninevu Galile Jagamum Ille. That means in sleep there are no thoughts and there is also no world. The implication, and consequently there's no world. That's the implication. Consequently isn't actually there, but it's implied there. Jagra Swapnangalil Ninevu Gal Ulla. Jagamum undu. In waking and dream, there are thoughts, and consequently, there is also a world. Though we assume in waking and dream that the world continues to exist even when we are asleep, we have no real evidence that this is the case. So, what Bhagavan points out in these two sentences is what we actually experience. A world seems to exist only when there are thoughts, as in waking and dream. And when there are no thoughts, as in sleep, no world seems to exist. Uh, <clears throat> so in other words, since, since we, we have no evidence that any world actually exists, all we can say about the world is it seems to exist. To whom does it seem to exist? To me. So. Uh, the, the world has no existence independent of our perception of it. That's the point Bhagavan is, is emphasizing. Since other thoughts exist only in the view of ego, which is the darkness of self-ignorance, they sprout only from this darkness, which is unreal, so they are composed of nothing but unreal darkness. This is explaining what Bhagavan, he, he referred to thoughts as, uh, poi may are. Poi means unreal. Um, may means uh, um, darkness, and are means uh, pervaded or consisting of. So, what remains when all thoughts cease? Only pure awareness, namely our fundamental awareness I am in its pristine state, devoid of all adjuncts which are just thoughts. Pure awareness is like a cinema screen on which moving pictures appear and disappear. On the screen of pure awareness, world pictures, that is, pictures consisting of phenomena of all kinds, appear and disappear. So whether, there, whether any such pictures appear or disappear, what always exists and shines is only pure awareness. Therefore, pure awareness is what we actually are. And hence, Bhagavan refers to it as Atma Swarupa, the real nature Swarupa of oneself, Atman, or, or just as Swarupa, which can mean uh, 
the own form or fundamental of, or, uh, nature of anything, but when used on its own, uh, means one's own real nature, or, uh, one's own real or fundamental nature. That is, Swarupa consists of two words. Swar means own, Rupa means form. It's not saying that our real nature is a form. Form is here used metaphorically. So Swarupa means uh, the own nature, the very nature of ourselves. What we actually are is Swarupa. So long as other things seem to exist in our awareness, we seem to be aware of ourselves as something other than the pure awareness that we actually are. So in order to be aware of ourselves as pure awareness, everything other than ourself needs to be excluded from our awareness. As Bhagavan clearly implies in the portion of the fourth paragraph of Nanabhadai cited above, uh, in which he concludes, Manam Apma Sarupa Tanindru Veli Padam Podu Jagam Tondram. When the mind comes out from Atma Swarupa, the world appears. Ahayal Jagam Tondram Podu Sarupam Tondradu. Therefore, when the world appears, Swarupa does not appear. Sarupam Tondram uh, within brackets, Prakasikam Podu, Jagam Tondradu. Uh, when Swarupa appears or shines, the world does not appear. In a cinema, pictures can appear on the screen only when there is a background darkness. If sunlight floods into the cinema, whatever pictures appeared on the screen, so long as there was darkness, will be dissolved. Likewise, when the sun of pure awareness shines forth in our heart, all, all thoughts will be dissolved, and hence no uh, body or world will appear. Just as pictures can appear on a cinema screen only in a background darkness, thoughts can appear only in the darkness of self-ignorance, which is the very nature of ego. So, uh, but why do thoughts appear in this darkness? What is it that projects them? Before going on to answer this, uh, 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 I'll just say one thing. That is, in the 1920s and 30s, uh, there were very few cinemas, only in big cities. There were cinemas in South India. But um, films used to be shown in villages and small towns because the the, the, the cinema company would 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 uh, uh, carry around with them a big marquee, a big tent, um, in which they would set up on the outskirts of a village or town, and set up all their projector and everything inside that tent, and uh, the tent provided sufficient darkness to show the film inside. So this is since this is how films were usually shown in South India. Bhagavan, of course, never went to such a cinema, but he knew about them. He had heard about them, so uh, he used this as an analogy uh, to, to illustrate this. He said, "In the, um, uh, the pictures won't appear on the screen in the absence of any light. If there's no light at all, no pictures will appear." They also won't appear in the full um, full brightness of the day daylight. Uh, it's only in the in the li a limited light 
in, with, with a background darkness that the pictures can appear. So Bhagavan used to say, if a, if a strong wind comes and, carry, and take, uh, uh, blows away the roof of the marquee of the tent in which the cinema has been sh um, shown, then the sunlight will come flooding in and what will happen to the pictures on the screen? They'll be swallowed by the sunlight. Exactly the same. When ego is annihilated and the sun of pure awareness shines forth in our heart, it will swallow everything. This is what Bhagavan refers to in verse 27 of uh, Arunacha Aksharamai when he sings, Sakalam uh, virangum kadirali yinamana jalajamalati daranachala. That is, he addresses Arunachala as the sun of bright rays, but swallows everything. And he prays to him, you are the sun, so you make the lotus of my, uh, of my mind blossom. And he prays the same in the first verse of, um, of um, Arunachya Pancharatnam. Karana Purna Sudabde, Kabalita Ganavishwarupa Kiranavalya, Arunachala Paramatman, Arunobhava Chitta Kanjus Vikasaya. That means, uh, oh, um, oh, son of bright rays that uh, uh, swallows everything in your spreading rays. Um, the, 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 that that son of uh, uh, it is also the Karuna Purna Sadabde, the ocean of grace in the form of a hill that is the sun of bright uh, rays but swallows everything. And that sun should uh, blossom the lotus of our heart. So, so that, that's a very, very important point Bhagavan makes there. It's a very nice analogy. But you. But, but, but in the complete absence of light, if there's no awareness at all, we wouldn't see a world. So there has to be awareness to see a world, but there also has to be the darkness of ignorance. Only in the darkness of ignorance will the world appear. If the original light, the pure, the, the bright uh, sunlight of pure of jnana um, uh, enters the, the, the cinema, the picture on the screen will be swallowed. Likewise, when jnana shines forth in our heart, all world appearance will be swallowed. So, um, so uh, the question is, why do thoughts appear in this darkness and what is it that projects them? But darkness is ego, which is the first thought and the root of all other thoughts. And the nature of ego is to always project and grasp things other than itself namely other thoughts, as Bhagavan points out in verse 25 of Uludhunapadu. What he says in verse 25 is, grasping form, it comes into existence. I'll, I'll read the Tamil and then the English. Uru patri undam, grasping form, it comes into existence. Uru patri nikkum, grasping form, it stands. Uru patri undu mika ongum, Grasping and feeding on forms, it grows abundantly. Uh, uruvitu urupatram. Leaving form, it grasps form. That is the very nature of the mind is to always be grasping form. It cannot come into existence without grasping form. It cannot stand without grasping form. And it cannot flourish without grasping form. So if it leaves one form, it will grasp another form. It's constantly grasping form. That's the, that's the nature of the mind or ego. But then he says, most importantly, 
Cardinal autum pedicum. If sought, it will take flight. That is, if instead, ego is now looking outwards, grasping so many other things, but instead of trying to grasp forms, which are things other than itself, if it tries to grasp itself, if it turns its attention back within to see who am I, and tries to grasp hold of itself, it will take flight. That means it'll subside and dissolve back into its source. Uruvatrapeyahande, uh, the formless phantom ego. What, what that implies here is, such is the nature of this formless phantom ego. Uruvatra uh, means formless or devoid of form, but ego has no form of its own. So it can't, it can't, that's why it cannot come into existence without grasping form. As soon as it rises, it grasps the form. It projects and grasps the form. So it's, it's formless because it's got no form of its own. And pay means an evil spirit or a phantom. It's an evil spirit or phantom because it's got no substance of its own. It borrows its fo the form of a body and it borrows its substance, its existence and its awareness from Satchit. So Satchit is the I am portion of ego. The, the, the body is the, 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 the adjunct portion. So as ego, we're always aware of ourselves as I am this body. What is, what is real is only I am. The body is unreal. But when the two are conflated together, the, 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 the I am is chit. The body is jada. So the conflation of these two is what is called chit jada granti, the not binding the chit and the jada together. And it's only in the view of this ego that but everything else seems to exist. Because as soon as we rise as ego, we project a body which we take as ourself, we continue grasping that body in order to endure, and then through the five senses of that body we project this world and we, our mind is constantly going out grasping this and that. Since ego is a formless phantom, whatever forms it grasps are things other than itself. So what Bhagavan means by Uru, or form, in this context, is objects or phenomena, which are what are called Vishayas in Sanskrit, and which are all just thoughts. Therefore, since ego cannot rise, stand, or flourish without grasping and feeding on Vishayas, the very nature of ego is to have Vishaya Vasanas, inclinations Vasanas, to grasp and feed on phenomena, Vishayas. Therefore, since ego is itself the darkness of self-ignorance, Vishaya Vasanas arise and reside in this darkness, and so long as it exists, it will be filled to a greater or lesser extent with them. That is, having ego is not the Vishaya Vasanas, but having Vishaya Vasanas is the very nature of ego. The, the Vasanas are just inclinations. Whose inclinations are they? They are ego's inclinations. So ego is not its inclination, but it's its nature to have these inclinations. Vishaya Vasanas are the seeds that sprout as likes and dislikes, which develop into desires, aversions, attachments, fears, and so on, which in turn give rise to all other thoughts and phenomena. So without the darkness of self-ignorance, which is the abode in which all the Shaya Vasanas arise and flourish, no thoughts would appear. This is why in the second sentence of this first verse of uh, 
Amavide, he describes thought as a poi mei a ninibu, unreal darkness pervaded thought. Poi means unreal or false. Mai means uh, darkness, and in this context implies the darkness of self-ignorance. Ninevu means thought, and a is a verb that means to become full, spread over, pervade, permeate, combine with, abide, stay, remain, exist, or be, but is used here as an adjectival participle. So poi mei a ninevu means unreal darkness pervaded thought or thought which is pervaded by or which is full of or exists as unreal darkness. Since all other thoughts exist only in the view of ego, it is the first thought and the root of all other thoughts. Therefore, since ego is the darkness of self-ignorance, all thoughts sprout only from this darkness, so they are not only pervaded by darkness, but are themselves composed of nothing but darkness. What is real is only the light of pure awareness I am, which is what we actually are. So the darkness of self-ignorance is entirely unreal. And since it is only from this darkness that all other thoughts are born, and in this darkness that they seem to exist, they are likewise entirely unreal. Therefore, unreal darkness is the very nature of all thoughts, and hence of the body and the entire world, which are just thoughts in the sense they are, they are nothing other than mental impressions. Does anyone have any questions, or shall I try and uh, finish my explanation of this verse today? Uh, sir, uh, there is one question from Rajatji on YouTube, which I have shared in the chat window, and I shall read that out. Okay, right. Thank you. Quote, what is the lotus uh, bud and analogy for in the first verse of Arunachal Pancharatnam? Unquote. Okay, good question. Uh, um, uh, that is, um, the heart or mind is compared to a lotus bud. It, the very immature mind, the very impure mind, is like a, a a very hard lotus bud. But as the on on any one day, in a lotus pond, there there will be many uh, lotus buds. But uh, on any one day, only a only a few of them will blossom. But though the others don't blossom, they are gradually being matured by the sunlight. And so they are they're, they're beginning to blossom, and and they in other words they're being prepared for the day when they blossom fully. So what Bhagavan says in that verse, in the Tamil version, he says very nicely, Arunagiri Paramatma Ve Hila Ulapu Nandrai. That is Ulapu means the heart, the heart flower, implying heart lotus. Uh, Killer means it's beginning to, it's just beginning to, it's just ready to blossom. Uh, nandrai, very well. Uh, viriti paritiaha, uh, shine to, uh, in such a way as to make it blossom fully. That is, my heart lotus is already beginning to blossom with love for you, but only by your grace can it blossom fully. 
So this is a very nice analogy Bhagavan uses of this, this lotus bud. But as I say, the very immature mind is like a is like an immature lotus bud. It won't. It will be a long time till it blossoms. But every day when the sun rises, its light will be falling on that lotus blossom, and slowly, 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 it will be uh, in, inward changes are taking place, but are making making it ready to blossom. In this way, grace is working in the heart of each and every one of us, even if we're not yet ready to blossom. It is doing its work. It is pre preparing the ground to make us ready to blossom. And when we are fully ready, then it will uh, blossom us fully. Uh, it will blossom. Uh, uh, lotus bud will blossom. That is, our heart will open. And like the cinema, uh, uh, um, the, 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 the roof of the cinema being blown away, in the analogy Bhagavan gave, the uh, when the lotus blossoms, the sunlight will come flooding in, and it will swallow everything. Um, uh, it swallows everything. Um, he says the same in, in Sanskrit. Kabbalita Gana Vishwarupa. You swallow the entire universe is swallowed in its uh, in its bright rays. Just like the, whatever the pictures on the screen may be, if the sunlight comes flooding in, all are swallowed. So when the when the lotus blossom opens, then the sunlight comes flooding in, and everything is swallowed. And what then remains? Is that sun of pure awareness, which is our natural, which is Bhagavan, which is what we actually are. Atvamasi, you yourself are that. I hope that's an adequate answer to that question. So I don't think there's quite time to finish um, verse one today. So I'll, it, it, we shouldn't hurry. This is a this Anmavide uh, is a very very deep work. That is a huge amount of very deep implication Bhagavan has packed into these verses. So let us let us proceed. Um, let us take our time and work our way through these verses little by little. Even if it takes, uh, I started talking about verse one last month, and I'm going to finish next month, and then we'll work. So let it let it take as long as it takes. But I think it's worth going through this work very thoroughly because there's so many important ideas in this uh, song, very fundamental ideas that are very fundamental to Bhagavan's teachings. In a sense, he's summarized all of his teachings in this, in these five short verses of this song. So it is worth taking time on it. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Aranachala Ramanaya.